two groups, two different groups, head down to Mexico or perhaps the Dominican. They head down to build a home for a family in need of shelter. One is a group of concerned citizens. The other is a group from a church. Both use good nails, use the best wood they can find, and both basically know what they're doing. Twenty years later, which house is stronger? As we lead up to our annual congregational meeting on the first Sunday in May, we are going to explore in worship our aspects of our new vision statement that has been adopted by the session, a vision statement that will be unveiled, in a way, at our annual meeting in a few weeks. Today, as we begin that exploration, we will look at the part of our new vision statement that calls us, commands us, compels us to serve together. In the coming years, we will renew and strengthen our commitment to serving together not just by giving more money away, which we hope to do, or by sponsoring others to do good work, which is also valuable too. Now, as we begin Fairmount's next chapter in its history, every member who joins, every child, confirmand, and youth, every adult, young or old, or in between, everyone who chooses to call Fairmount their spiritual home will be encouraged and compelled to serve together. In the coming years, service will be the center of who we are as a community of faith. Now, I'm excited. I am very excited about this renewed focus on service. But truth be told, one could make a pretty good argument that other nonprofits do a much better job of leveraging resources to make a difference than churches do. Churches are many things, but let's be honest, churches are not all that efficient. Everyone who gives to the American Heart Association, what? They're passionate about curing heart disease. Everyone who gives to an organization like Charity Water is passionate about building wells for people who need clean water. And everyone who signs up for a walk for hunger cares deeply about hunger-related issues. But not everyone who belongs to a particular church is passionate about the same things. Which is part of the reason churches struggle, I think, to be focused in their mission. And Fairmount is no different. Eric is working really hard with the Serve Council to deepen and focus the impact of our mission programs here. But it's not going to be easy. Because everyone in that room brings different interests and passions to the table. This isn't all bad, of course. There is strength in our diversity, but it does make one pause and wonder why we would choose to renew our focus on service together when it might be more efficient and even more effective for us to encourage you to take your hard-earned money and your precious time and dedicate it to other nonprofits who have a laser-like focus, who will probably yield better, measurable results. Today's passage from Luke is one in a series where the newly resurrected Christ kind of surprises his followers. A few days after their hopes were dashed following the death of Jesus, rumors started to surface that he wasn't dead after all, 
People were saying he was actually alive, appearing to people in the strangest of places. And it was these rumors, confirmed by some of their own, that the disciples were talking about in today's passage when Jesus makes his appearance. Now, their response to his appearance is not all that surprising. It's a mixture of fear and doubt and joy and awe. As we were reminded last week, who wouldn't be shocked to see a dead man walking? Now, the response of the disciples, of his followers, is not all that surprising when we think about it. What is surprising, though, is what Jesus chooses to emphasize in this brief and important encounter. He doesn't tell them the secret to living a good life. He doesn't tell them how they're going to change the world. He doesn't give them a blueprint for making a healthy, sustainable church. He simply reminds them that they are all witnesses to what matters most. I think every problem the world faces operates on three levels. The first level is the surface level. People are hungry. They are thirsty. They are trapped in poverty. They are trapped in cycles of violence. This is the surface level, and this level matters. Every organization, institution, or individual who works to give people who are in need the things that they need should be applauded. That's the first level. The second level, beneath the surface just a bit, is the level of the root causes for the hunger, thirst, violence and greed that plagues so many in our world today. And this level matters too, which is why every organization, institution, and individual who is seeking to eliminate and rectify the root causes of suffering should be held in high esteem. But there is always another deep level with every problem we face in this world, and that is a spiritual level where the root causes find their nourishment and origins And it's at this level that the church of Jesus Christ is called to focus its energy and its efforts. For it's at this spiritual level that we are equipped, I believe, to do our very best work. Two houses are built in Mexico or the Dominican. One by a church, another by a nonprofit. Twenty years later, which one is stronger? Neither one is stronger. Barring defective supplies or human error, both houses, 20 years later, are likely the same strength. There is nothing special about a house built by Christians. What is different is not the house. What is different is the frame that surrounds that house. When people of faith commit to set aside time and energy and resources to serve together, whether it be once a week, once a month, or once a year. What matters most is not the work that they do. What matters most is the story they bear witness to in their work. Because it is a story that affirms that long after that house has fallen to the ground, and every house one day will fall to the ground, long after the mission workers have gone, long after that area is no longer the cool place to serve, and money stops coming, long after all that happens... God will still be there. I had a little fun this week with the bulletin cover. If you didn't take a peek at it, take your bulletin out and look at it now. For those of you who follow the National Basketball Association, you know the Cavaliers begin their quest today for their first NBA championship. 
with the greatest curse of all being the favorites to win it all. Let us pray. (laughs) But if you also follow the NBA closely, you might recognize, you might have noticed that the image on the cover of your bulletin is not from this season. It's from the season that LeBron made his decision. A few years ago, this city put all its hope squarely on the shoulders of LeBron James. I felt it all the way in Akron. He was the one that was going to finally bring a championship to a city starved for one for 50 years. And so we loved it when Nike hung that huge banner downtown showing LeBron facing out, looking up, a Christ-like figure if there ever was one arms outstretched. And we loved it when on the poster it read, we are all witnesses. We wanted to be there to see it happen. And then LeBron left for Florida, as many of you do every year. (laughs) And we tore the banner down. Christian mission, Christian service is primarily about witnessing to what God has done and what God is doing in Jesus Christ. Everything else we do finds its strength and its effectiveness in this truth. We do not go it alone. We come together to bear witness. We are called to witness to God's activity in the world, which is why we are called to serve together. Together with one another, together with the people we serve, and together with God. We are not called to save the world. We are not modern-day superheroes. We are simply witnesses to what God is up to. And the only way to witness to what God is doing in the lives of someone in need is to serve together with them. In the end, what makes the service work done by faith communities like our own effective, despite all our inefficiency, is that we frame all of our work with the good news of a God who is with us in all things. We pray at the beginning and the end of service projects not to ensure that we do good work or that this house will be special or extra strong. We pray to remind ourselves and others that God is there in our shared service, building something so much more important and longer lasting than a home or a well or a hospital. What we are building together is the kingdom of God. Marsha is the part-time executive director of the Religious Coalition for a Nonviolent Durham. Durham's a city in North Carolina that has some particular struggles with its inner city populations. Founded in 1992, The coalition's mission is to rectify and prevent violence through intentional relationships. Very early in their work, the coalition realized that the only way to bring about lasting change to the city of Durham was to engage the people they served as their equals, not to serve over them or for them, but to serve with them. One night, Marcia took this commitment to serving together to a whole nother level She was taking food to a man named Tony with whom she served in the coalition. Tony's wife had just had a baby, and they needed a little bit of help. 
As Marsha made her way through the unfamiliar and at times dangerous streets where Tony lived, she was talking on her phone while she was driving. She was talking to her husband, Robert, to tell him that she'd be a little late getting home for dinner. And then while she was talking and driving, which you should not do, she saw who she thought was Tony walking along the side of the road. So she said goodbye to her husband, threw the phone on the floor, and pulled over rolling down her window and saying, hey, hey, Tony, is that you? The next thing she knew, the guy was in the car, but this wasn't Tony. It was somebody else, and he smelled bad and looked angry and was kind of on edge. And he looked very, very stressed. But Marcia thought to herself, this man could be my brother. And so she put her hand out and said, hi, I'm Marcia. What's your name? His response was simply, drive. Many assumptions about his intentions began to fill Marsha's mind, as they do whenever we reach out to someone in need. Yet none were more dominant than the realization that this man, whatever his story, needed her. So she started asking questions as she drove slowly down the city streets. So what do you need? Do you have any family? What can I do for you? How can I help? The man seemed surprised that this woman was being so kind to him, having just walked in her car uninvited. So he asked for some money, which she stopped and gave to him at a stoplight. A few long minutes passed, and she brought him back home, insisting that he go back to his family because they would need him. Pulling up to his house, she gave the man her telephone number and said, call me if you need any more help. The man got out of the car and walked away. It was then that Marcia saw Tony, the man she'd been looking for, running toward the car, screaming, What are you doing? What are you doing? You could have gotten yourself killed. On her way home for dinner, Marcia wasn't sure if she should tell her husband the truth or not. You've all been there. Plausible deniability. What are you talking about? But she opted for option one, telling the truth. She knew it wasn't her best moment of judgment, but she trusted her husband. When she got home, Robert asked her, so, busy night? Marcia took a deep, long breath and began, well, yeah, this really incredible thing happened. He goes, stop. Yeah, I know all about it. I listened to the whole thing on your phone as it was happening. Marcia suddenly realized she hadn't turned off the phone. She just threw it on the floor. And so he heard everything. Of course, she was terrified. Wouldn't you be? terrified at what Robert would say next. But this is what he said. I will never be afraid again. That was an act of God. It was terrifying. I didn't know what I should do. If I should get off the phone and call the police, I didn't know what to do. So I just stayed on the phone. But he said, Marcia, God is real. I will never fear again. Whenever we go it alone, like LeBron did a few years ago, we fail, and we often fail miserably. We just aren't built to be saviors. Did you notice the subtle changes to the new banner that's hanging downtown? It's still LeBron. Nike's still selling merchandise, don't get me wrong. But he's not looking up anymore. He's looking out into the crowd 
and to the fans. Perhaps you saw the video at the beginning of the year that the whole city of Cleveland is rallying together. It's no longer about him. It's about us. Together. Whenever we seek to serve with others and with God, we can't fail. Even if we're not successful. Because in the end, what people need on the deepest level is a narrative or a story that gives them hope despite their present circumstance. In the end, what people need to hear is the good news that the kingdom of God, that God's presence, that God's love, that God's spirit is at hand. If the resurrection tells us anything, it's that God is busy at work in this world, in the difficult places, in the places that other people say are hopeless, in the broken mess of shattered dreams and failed expectations. We are witnesses to these things. Our outreach as a church is not primarily about institutional or even societal change. That's part of it. But our outreach as a church primarily is about personal transformation. It's about transforming how we see the world. It's about transforming the way we see one another. It's about transforming the narrative of this world from one dominated by despair to one saturated with hope. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think it is. But about once a week, I lay awake at night, in bed, unable to sleep. And the reason is simple. I am busy babysitting the world. I'm worried about my kids. Three's a lot. I worry about this church, our future. I worry about our stewardship numbers. Will we make our goal? I worry about that leak in my basement I try to avoid and pretend it'll go away. And that's not even to mention existential things like Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, ISIS, and climate change. I have so many nights where I lay awake in bed babysitting the world. And from hard-earned personal experience, I have found that doubling down on my work, my plans, my energy, my willpower does not make it any easier for me to sleep. In fact, when I think about myself and what I can do, I feel more awake. Peace is not found when I seek to do more or change more or even serve more. The only way I can overcome those moments when I feel like it's my job to babysit the world is to remember it's not my job. It's God's job. And God is here in the middle of our lives offering us peace. God is here in the middle of our anxiety and fear giving us a way forward to new life. God is here where we live taking care of the world, taking care of people who believe in God and those that don't. God is here. Serving together, let's witness to that. Amen. Now, before we say our affirmation of faith together, we're going to try something. I want you to turn to people around you, find someone near you. For a few minutes, just a few minutes, share one way, one place where you've seen God at work in the world. It might be in your life, in the world, in the life of someone you know, but share a witness of what you've seen God doing in someone's life. A few minutes. Talk amongst yourselves.
Okay. Look at that. I encourage you to I encourage you to keep those conversations going. It's fascinating to me that in our lives we are so much more comfortable sharing things we need. When we have problems, we'll talk about please pray for me. We have a hard time sharing when God does something good. So this week, try that. Share what you've seen God doing in your lives and the lives of others and continue that conversation long after the service is concluded. Thank you.